this truth. About uh, 1200 BC, uh, there's a book that was written called Judges. You may have may or may not have read that in the Old Testament, but it was written kind of in the time between um, Joshua taking the Israelites into the Promised Land and the establishment of the first um, kind of line of kings over Israel. So between that time of Joshua and Saul, um, there were these judges that that ruled over Israel and. The writer of that book made this comment in the very last line of the whole thing. It's Judges 21, 25, and it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And you know what that statement tells me is that not much has changed, right? Humans are humans. We have an amazing capacity to convince ourselves that our way of thinking and perceiving the world um, is right, which leads us to justify every action against those that would oppose or think otherwise. It's a me-centered theology, uh, a way of looking at God and the world where the primary concern isn't necessarily asking the question, what's true? The primary concern is, is to say, well, does it work for me today? Because tomorrow I might change the rules, okay? So the past eight months or so, I've been meeting with uh, a friend uh, for lunch pretty much weekly. And we've been kind of talking about, he's, he's <clears throat> young in his faith, but about my age. And we've been talking about uh, the Bible and just kind of the, the basic kind of tenets of what it means to be a Christian. And he'll sometimes ask me uh, about a particular topic and he'll say, we believe that, Right? Well, what he means is that he wants to know, hey, if I'm going to be a Christ follower and I'm going to surrender myself to something or, or more appropriately to someone, I want to know what it is I'm supposed to be putting my trust in. As Christians, what exactly do we believe? And I think this is a really important question because if you kind of just survey the landscape of of the era that we're in in American Christian faith right now. I think that there are very few people who call themselves Christians who are actually really devoted to studying the Word of God. I saw a retweet from Justin May, shout out, this week, right? That I thought was really interesting. It said this, The modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love a Jesus they don't know very well. Reactions to that. What do you think about that? Leave that up there for a second, Todd. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She said it reminds her of her childhood and just uh, being a church and really passionate and excited about their faith, but really not sure exactly what it was they believed. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, my coming into this church was because I had a God that I prayed to that saved my life and gave me a life worth living. And I didn't know who I served. And when I learned about spiritual principles, I didn't know how to apply them in my life today. So I come to Wellspring 
to find out how Jesus applied the spiritual principles and taught us so that I could apply them in my life and do what Jesus did and follow that path. Yeah. Because I think there is something very important about the fact that, that a lot of us do have or did maybe, you know, when we began our faith journey, we had an experience where it's like, man, God did something in me, and it's supernatural, and I can't even explain it, but we didn't necessarily have the words to articulate who that God was and, and what he'd done, and so it's, it's this process of, of learning and growing. But in order to learn those things, like, you have to be very intentional. Like, you've got to come to church, and you've got to be in your Bible, and you've got to be in community with other people who are going to fill in those gaps and help you have a better understanding so that you can communicate to others who's behind that experience that you've had, right? So... Good stuff, okay? I thought that was an interesting little uh, comment. So I see that truth play out, especially when I'm counseling folks. So when people come into Pastor Bob's office and their life has kind of fallen apart at some level, I see people whose you know, marriages are crumbling or maybe they have a rebellious uh, teenager on their hands or maybe their finances are a mess or... Um, you know, their job and career hasn't turned out like they thought it would, and that's caused all kinds of angst and anxiety and depression at times. And what I find is that folks were living under an illusion that God was going to spare them some pain in life, shield them from some suffering if they were just doing the right Christian things, right? But that plan seems to be backfiring on them, and then they end up in my office, <laughs> And the bottom line is that many church folks are following a Jesus of their own making instead of Jesus as he's actually revealed in Scripture. And furthermore, if you ask many people who consider themselves followers of Christ to give a clear proclamation of the gospel, they would struggle to put it into words. So if you can imagine, if I had a microphone up here today and I cleared everybody out of, out of here so you couldn't hear what other people said, and I had you all come one by one, and I'd be sitting right here in the front row, and I said, hey, I want you to give a, a clear presentation of the gospel. Go. <laughs> How many of you would panic in that moment, right? Nobody. Yeah, you guys are awesome, right? <laughs> right? Most people would kind of stumble and bumble around. Like, they, you take bits and pieces. I know a little bit over here and there, and hopefully kind of patch it together and hopefully get partial credit on my essay, right? Um, that's how a lot of us kind of approach things. We're, we're not really, we don't know the, the gospel well enough sometimes to really present it in a clear way. So all that being said, um, over the next three months or so, so basically kind of through most of the summer starting today, uh, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to be going, we're going to break down the historical uh, church statement that is known as the Apostles' Creed. And um, like put the actual just background slide up there. There you go. So we're going to break it down line by line take a hard look at what it is that we believe as Christians and why. So just as a means of kind of survey here, how many of you guys grew up in a faith tradition where you guys said the Apostles' Creed like almost every week? Okay, good, a lot of folks, okay. How many of you have never heard of the Apostles' Creed? A few of you, yeah, okay. So we're a little bit all over the map here, right? Um, so we're, we're all gonna um, take a look at this I want you to go ahead. What we're going to do is, first of all, we're just going to stand today. So go ahead and do that. And we're going to recite the creed together. And then we'll get into our discussion this morning. So go ahead and put that up, Todd. So just repeat with me. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and there should be another line on there, and the life everlasting, right? Amen. Okay, so we'll get that, we'll get that fixed for next week. You guys go ahead and take a seat. How many of you were having like church flashbacks, like, yeah, good or bad, right? Okay, yes, okay. Um, so before we get into the particulars of the creed itself, which is believed to have been written um, in the second century AD, we're going to take a look at how did we get from the events of Jesus' death, resurrection, his ascension into heaven to this creed being written and adopted into church life, kind of what were the steps in between those things. So we need to remember that in the time of Christ, there was very little written down on paper or scrolls. Okay, so any, everything was just word of mouth being passed. If you had an actual copy of the Old Testament scripture, um, that had been like painstakingly written down word for word by some monk somewhere, okay? So it was a, a precious possession. So everything, almost all teachings were transmitted by word of mouth. So before even the first gospel account was written, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was the first gospel written in the like, late 50s to early 60s AD, okay, Paul reveals to us the accepted teachings of Christ that were being passed around from believer to believer. So even though Paul's letters in your New Testament come after the Gospels, most of them are written prior to the Gospels chronologically, okay? So I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. It's page 1049. First Corinthians 15, what Paul is doing here is he's kind of summing up kind of a creedal statement that was kind of an accepted, um, some accepted beliefs about Christ that were being passed around in his day as he was establishing churches. So starting in verse 3, it says this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So, we see this, uh, this writing. He's, he's writing the church in Corinth about 55 A.D., so about you know, five to seven years before the first gospel is written. And Paul is laying out some very basic statements on the core events of the life of Christ. Well, also, if you notice, like leaving out a lot of kind of important things as well about Jesus. So and here's the thing, guys. If we're talking, you know, second century A.D., the printing press was invented in the 1400s A.D., so we're over, you know, 1,200 plus years away from there being mass-produced Bibles that people can look at for themselves. So, um, you know, there's this huge need 
um, to write a statement of faith that a person could memorize and recite, including critical elements of who God and Jesus were, what they came and did, what it means to be saved. So what we know today is the Apostles' Creed was most likely written in the second century A.D. in Rome. It was written during a time of intense persecution in the church by the emperor of Rome, by the various governors that he had in parts of the empire. So to be a Christian in the Roman Empire in the second century was an illegal activity, punishable by death. So it's really important that we kind of understand the backdrop of what was going on when this creed was kind of put forth, okay? This was also a time where a lot of heresies were circulating in the church, attacking the teachings and the claims of Christ, specifically the claim that Jesus was fully human. There were some people that had a real problem with believing that because they, they thought the flesh was corrupt and that, so that Jesus, the divine thing, couldn't take on human flesh. And so if you, if you believe that Jesus wasn't fully human, then you also would kind of put forth this idea that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Okay, which is a huge attack on, on the basic teaching of Christ and who, who he is. Um, and so there were external threats from the Roman Empire and then internal divisions in the early church. So early church leaders wanted to create a statement of faith to make sure that people were true believers and address some of the lies being spread about Christ. So the way the Apostles' Creed was first used is it was used at people's baptisms, so when they would come forward to be baptized, they would recite the Apostles' Creed as kind of their statement of, um, and their conviction of assuring themselves of the conviction of the teachings of Christ. It was something that all Christians could confess, and it was also a summary of the faith that they could then pass on to other people, okay? A bold declaration of exactly what it means to say that you're a Christian, so now I need to clear up a few things as we go on into this uh, series here, is that various Christian creeds that you'll come across, there's others ones besides the Apostles' Creed, they are not scriptures themselves, okay? They are not found in the Bible anywhere. So one pastor explained it like this. He said, they do not hold any authority in and of themselves, but rather they point outside of themselves to the ultimate authority of the Word of God. So I heard a great illustration this week that I think might be helpful in understanding this a little bit, um, is that all of us see the moon in the sky every night. And you look at it, and it kind of appears like it's, it's a source of light, right? We even have an expression in our, in our language where we, we use the phrase moonlight, right? Walking by the moonlight. And, and, um, but we know that the, the moon doesn't create light itself, but the fact that it glows tells us that there's another source out there somewhere. We all know that there's a sun that shines its light onto the moon and then it reflects it to us. In the same way, creeds reflect the light of the word of God. Okay, so if that helps a little bit with what those are. So creeds are not scripture, but point you to the word of God. And secondly, important thing to remember is that saying them every week at church or every day, every time you pray, whatever, does not necessarily make you a Christian. Okay, so I want to show the slide of the creed again. So the creed begins with these two words, which we're going to focus on today. The Apostles' Creed begins, I believe, not I know. Why?
belief involves action. Okay? It's good. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. You believe something, it encompasses your heart, your whole being, not just your mind. Okay? Great. Any other thoughts? Brady, did you have some? You're just scratching your nose, just kind of. <laughs> you don't want to make a bid on that item, Brady? I'm going to come back to anybody else. Yeah. Okay, it's a statement that, that says, that, that involves like, hey, man, I know this is true. Okay, those are all good, good things. Okay, so it begins with that phrase, I believe. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. So Paul talks about the importance of believing in Romans chapter 10. If you could turn your Bibles there, page 1032, Romans chapter 10. Probably a, a little passage you've heard a lot in your Christian journey. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified or made right. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So there's something very different, Paul is saying, between confessing something with your mouth and then believing it in your heart. As somebody mentioned, like to truly believe something, you have to put your trust in it. You have to act on it. The dictionary defines believing as having a firm conviction as to the goodness or the ability of something. So it's kind of the difference between us, you know, standing and singing the national anthem and declaring with our voice um, that we believe in the principles and the ideals of the American spirit or the American vision, right? And then actually like signing up to go in the military to defend us against attackers to those systems, putting your life on the line for what you say, okay? So that's kind of the difference between just confessing something with your mouth but actually believing it in your heart. And again, context is everything here. When the Apostles' Creed was written and a person getting baptized said, I believe in God the Father Almighty. They were declaring that they were willing to die for that belief. Because in times of persecution, that was a very real possibility. Back then, before you signed up to be a, a follower of Jesus, you probably had a few sleepless nights where you wrestled with you know, kind of this conviction, the implications of the choice that you were about to make might mean that you might die very soon. And am I ready to say that? It's a very different thing. So let's make this a little more practical for our present context because the reality is, is in our, our culture today, not many of us are going to be killed for saying that we believe in Jesus, okay? So how do we make this a little bit more real? How do we show we believe today? What are the practical ways that our choices reflect our belief in God? What are the practical ways our choices reflect our belief in God? Yeah. Dying to yourself. Dying to yourself so being selfless instead of selfish. Okay. What else? Yeah, Chris.
Okay. Yeah, so it shows that our, 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 um, our desire, our interest to care for the vulnerable. Okay. Yeah, what else? What are the things, choices that you make that's, that's, that show that you're aligned with Christ and his way of thinking? Yeah. Okay, can you give me an example? Okay, so we make decisions about where we put ourselves, for instance, on a Sunday morning, right, so that we are being reminded of what's true and being encouraged and all those things, okay? So we make choices about, you know, who we associate with, what things we attend, all right? What else? Let's get even more nitty-gritty here, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so we talked about the things that we have, our, our money, um, our relationships, our marriage, our children. Do we see those things as God's that we're stewarding or that those are our things that we hold on tightly and kind of control <laughs> um, and try to be stingy about or whatever? Okay, so the fact that we believe that there's a God and that he's changed our life means that I'm more than happy to be generous with my money and give some of it to the church or to Young Life or whatever God calls me to do. Um, it makes a big determination on who I marry, what I'm looking for in a spouse, right? Uh, do I, am I limiting myself because I say that I believe in God and I want to find another person who believes in that too? So I'm limiting myself to only other people who are followers of Christ. Those are the only people that I'm going to marry. Like that's a pretty big decision, Right? about where you live, what job you have. Those all things could be wrapped up into that. Yeah. I believe in putting yourself in uncomfortable places that um, God has walked before and trusting that God has your back. Okay. Um, going into uh, prisons, going into foreign countries that we've never been with before. Yep. And trusting that we're serving God and doing this and knowing that this is what he wants for us. Yeah. Even though we don't want to. Yeah. So doing the things that we don't want to in our flesh because we know it's the right thing, right, to spread the gospel to places that are hard to reach or whatever. So those are great examples, folks, good examples. So, um, so why is this a critical series for us to be familiar with the essential teachings of our faith? Well, I just want to give you one example of why I think this is so important right now in our time. So just last year, 2018, there was a study conducted by uh, Lifeway and Legionnaire Ministries, and over 3,000 people were polled on various questions regarding faith and beliefs. 3,000 people who self-identified as evangelical Protestants, okay? So that would be us, our crowd, okay? In that study... Less than 50% believe the Bible is the word of God and is true. 60% believed in a literal heaven, but only half think you need to believe in Jesus to get there. 52% believe that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Those are just a few that I just picked out, okay? And guys, those perspectives run absolutely contrary to the word of God. And these are folks that are calling themselves evangelical Protestants that are espousing these things. Let me just give you some examples real quickly from Scripture. 
right? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that's what the word says about itself. In Romans, Paul writes this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now he's talking about like before you're a Christian, okay? But just humans when they're born, <laughs> there's no good in us, right? Only self-centeredness and pursuit, okay? Go to the next verse. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't just get to heaven any old way you want. You've got to go through Jesus, which means that you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that his death paid for your, your sin. You've got to commit to him being Lord of your life. You're not calling the shots anymore. You're surrendering to him. There's, there's all of these things here that just directly refute kind of the, the, the pseudo-Christian nonsense worldview out there um, where people think they can just kind of make things up on their own, okay? And it's people who are professing to be Christ's followers who are best misguided and at worst blasphemous who are stating these things. So we live in a time right now in our culture today, much like the time of judges in the Old Testament where people believe and do what is right in their own eyes and then expect God to kind of rubber stamp it and call it good, and so it's critical as a church of Jesus Christ that we teach proper theology, that we bend ourselves to the scripture instead of the scripture to ourselves and try to fit scripture into our way of thinking and the way we want to operate. So A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is what we think about God accurate in light of his revealed word? Is it accurate? And guys, one of these reasons why this is such a kind of a pet thing for me <laughs> is I, I meet with a lot of people. And in, in, invariably when I ask them about kind of their own kind of personal study in the word, so few people are ever actually opening their Bible up, but they're creating this whole system of belief about God and about how their life works and why what they're doing is okay without matching it up with, well, what does God say about that? <laughs> you don't get to just make up your version of Christianity and then ask God to just say that's okay. We have to come to the word and then we have to readjust our life to fit the narrative of Scripture. Because otherwise, we, we end up just being disappointed and disillusioned when our plan is not getting us and yielding us the results we thought it was going to get. Well, then I say, well, yeah, of course, because the Bible doesn't say that, right? The Bible says this. You're trying to live like this, expecting this result, and that's not how it works. And so it's, it's incredibly frustrating for me because it's like God has given us 66 books with his voice, his answers to a lot of our life's questions but instead of really diving in and being disciplined enough to study this and get around maybe other people who are mentors that can help us to see it, we just kind of want to go along with whatever Twitter says or our friends say or whatever feels good and call that Christianity. Whew. All right. I'm calming down. Thank you, Barb. I appreciate that. <laughs> Guys, listen. We're a part of a people who are confessing to believe a doctrine about who God is 
what he's done for us, who we are as his church, and what it means to be saved. And the Apostles' Creed is, is universally accepted across denominations of Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox lines. There's very small variations between those, but, but in terms of the, of the big things, there's a great consensus in doctrine that all those people have rallied around now for over 2,000 years. The church all around the globe, every nation, every, every skin tone, every language and tongue stating, I believe. Thousands of years, billions of people making the same declaration of faith in Christ alone. And now it's our turn. And this, this torch is being passed to our generation. And it's up to us to hold true to right doctrine concerning God. And we profess those beliefs not because life here on earth is or isn't working out for us the way we think it should, the way we think it's owed to us, We profess these beliefs because they are true. And they point us towards a God who is worthy of our adoration, our affection, our worship. And we say, I believe God's narrative. When we say, I believe God's narrative, we are also simultaneously saying, I do not believe the world's narrative. We are saying, I reject the notion that my ultimate happiness and joy is going to be found in my marriage the relationships that I have, my friendships, my job, the adoration of other people who think I'm great, the opinions of the people of this world, my material things. That is not where I'm going to find my ultimate joy. Instead, I declare that in God alone, I find that what my heart was made for, my creator, redeemer, master, who was and is and is to come. And so today we begin with, I believe. It's, an un, it's, it's a declaration of unwavering faith in the work and ministry of Christ in our life. We, we, it's true because God says it is. It resonates because as we live into it, our life says, yes, <laughs> I've experienced what I see is true. Okay? And so we have life experience that leads us to say, that, that validates the truth of the Scripture. I want to close today with a reminder from Hebrews 11.6. It says this, And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, Jake gave a, a really funny kind of thing, you know, earlier today. He said, 70 people showed up at the meeting last year and like 12 ran the race, right? That's us, man. We say all kinds of stuff and we do very little. And we've talked about that we need to be a people that align ourselves with what comes out of our mouth and then how we act. That's called integrity. And so we need to grow in that. And so each week we're going to be taking a look at the Apostles' Creed kind of line by line. And and so next we're going to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And what does that mean for us to say that we believe in that? How do we communicate that to others in a way that, that resonates and grabs hold of their hearts? So... Um, as we come to the table today, um, this is an awesome time, a ritual, uh, an experience that was created to connect with this sense of I believe, right? When we come we, with our action today, as we come forward and put this stuff in us, we're basically saying I believe in what it stands for. I believe that Christ died for me and that because he died that my sins are forgiven forever. 
and that I have an opportunity to be in relationship with him, that I have an opportunity to be one with him. So this is what we're saying as we come forward. I'm going to give you some time to pray um, quietly, and then the ushers will dismiss you, and you guys can come and and take and eat. And there's gluten-free bread down on the end down here. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. God, we repent of the times in our life where we just kind of make up our own rules and, and do what we want and then expect you to kind of be okay with it. We, we, we repent of our um, apathy towards your word. God, we need you to help kind of refocus us, rediscipline us, um, to be in your word, to hunger and thirst for you. God, because your word is truth to us. God, your word tells us to not put in our, our hope into our own intellect. But God, to, to trust in you, that you, as we trust in you, you will make our path straight according to your word and your way. And so we yield ourselves to you, God. God, I pray that this time, this series over the next few months would be a time of reorienting us. It would be a time of encouraging us to to, to um, remind ourselves of what it is that when we call ourselves Christians, what it is that we actually believe. And can I communicate that to another person in a, in a clear and in a passionate, focused way? Lord, I love you. I love your word uh, because it's life for us. Lord, your word is a, a light unto our path. Lord, we just give you this time of just silence right now, maybe to kind of confess some things about it, kind of how we've operated and maybe even towards your word. Sometimes we read the word, but we, we, we kind of want to read it the way we want to hear it. And I pray that we would lay that down too, that we would confess that. Sometimes we don't really come open to its correction, but we come kind of looking for it to validate the way we already want to think and live. And that needs to die as well.